All right, so my name is Ken, and I got the privilege of hanging out with you guys tonight. My understanding, oh, I'm on staff at Village Church. If you don't know who I am, that's all right. Um, my understanding is that uh, from uh, Ben that you guys are doing a three-part mini-series on sex, greed, and pride. And so he was asking me to speak, and he says, I'd like you to speak on pride. And I said, well, how come I'm speaking on pride? Do you think I'm arrogant? He said, no. He said, uh, I wanted Mark to speak on something that he's got expertise in, and uh, great, uh, Ben's going to speak on something he's got expertise in, and he's figured I could speak on this. And I said, well, why didn't you give me sex? And he says, well, because Mark's written a book on sex. And so I, I got a copy of the book. I mean, this, is a, this isn't a book. This is a pamphlet. You know? <laughs> That's a book, right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, that's my shameless plug for Freedom Session. <laughs> but honestly, this has nothing to do with my message, so my time's not starting yet. But, but Ben and I were talking, this, I'm actually serious about this. Ben and I were talking, and um, Village Church is 50% of the people that attend Village Church are under 35. And so uh, we, we run a ministry called Freedom Session, and one of the things we're doing is on June 17th, we are having a facilitator training for those people who hopefully if you've been through Freedom Session or you are relatively healthy emotionally. We're going to be training facilitators, and from that group, we're going to be picking the cream of the crop to be our facilitators for the next year. So if you've been through Freedom Session, and you would, the reason why I brought up the, the stats on, on our ages is because we, we have about half of the people take Freedom Session under 35, and so we're looking for apprentice facilitators under age 35. We'd love to have you. So if you're thinking about that on May 28th or 29th, you can register for the training. Now, if you're really messed up, don't register for the facilitator training. Just come to Freedom Session in the fall. Um, but if you think you're relatively healthy and the people around you think you're relatively healthy and would want to be trained in that, um, the, the registration to be trained is actually going to be on uh, May 29th. It's going to cost you 10 bucks, just the price of food. So, all right. So, uh, now, um, what, before we get started, I want you to do a little mini exercise. And I'm going to come back to it halfway through my message. So this is the deal. Some of you know the Bible, Old Testament stuff. Moses was chosen by God to take God's people, Israel, out of slavery into the promised land. Somewhere along the line, Moses got disqualified from entering the promised land himself. So in groups of three or four, without Google, all right, what was his sin? What was the sin that disqualified Moses from going into the promised land. Just go ahead, Th groups of three or four, try to figure it out. No Google. You can use the Bible if you want. What was the sin that caused Moses his place in the promised land? All right, so we'll come back to that later. Hopefully you figured it out. All right, focus, focus, focus. <laughs> okay. Yeah, pride. <laughs> so, so the topic I'm going to speak on is pride. Pride, pride is a pretty non-sexy topic, and somewhere along the line, I've got to tell you to not be prideful and be humble instead. So I already know that. It's kind of like watching the Titanic. You already know it's going to end. 
So you know I'm going to cover that, but I've honestly, this is kind of strange, I've never ever, and I've been a pastor for over 25 years, I've never dedicated a whole sermon to pride. It's one of those things that you kind of always throw in as a sub-point because it's an issue that all of us struggle with. We've got lots to cover, lots to cover tonight. So I want to start off with, I want to give you some initial of my thoughts on pride and why you should be listening as if your life depends on it for the next 30 minutes. I got your attention. <laughs> Okay, so let's give a couple of preliminary problems with pride that I see. Pride, in my understanding, is the root, think about this, pride is the root of almost every other sin. And if I'm accurate, then pride is at the foundation of our broken relationship with God. That's number one. Now, that's not going to sell you on it yet. Number two is that pride is accompanied with severe consequences. Pride is accompanied by severe consequences, more than you think when you're prideful. For example, it costs Satan his place in heaven. Think about that. Pride costs Satan, archangel, at same level of Michael the archangel, pride costs Satan his place in heaven. Pride costs our parents their place in the Garden of Eden. And pride, if you read the Bible, Pride cost some of the heroes of the faith, countless celebrities in the Bible, pride cost them their careers, and it cost them huge military defeats. And if it costs them that, it's going to affect you. The consequences of pride are huge. They're going to be, if it costs those people huge amounts of consequences, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost me. It has cost me. Pride has cost me thousands of dollars. Pride has cost me plan B for my life a few times. And it's going to cost some of you. Second Samuel, let's take one example from, uh, you know, Second Samuel. The uh, man after God's own heart, King David, right? Second Samuel 24, he calls a census. A census, you're counting how many people you got. He'd been warned not to do a census. There's nothing wrong with counting how many people you got except that he was counting because he was going into military battle and he was counting to figure out if he could win or not. And he was warned not to do that. Let me just pick that up. Um, so, and after he counted them, but then it says David's heart struck him after he numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done, but now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I've been very foolish. That's exactly what you and I do. We screw up. We know we shouldn't do something. We do it anyway. And then we cry out to God to take away our iniquities. And we think that by God going to God for forgiveness, there's no consequence. God loved David incredibly. This was the man after God's own heart. But there was a huge consequence. Of course God was going to forgive David, but there's a huge consequence that a lot of us don't realize that our sin, because we talk about sin pretty casually. In fact, we take sin pretty casually these days. We kind of expect God to forgive us. We take sin very casually, and we know we're going to get forgiven. But what we don't realize is there are going to be consequences not only to us, but to those people we love or we're going to love. In fact, some of you right now that are sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, right now you are putting a consequence into your wife or your husband's life of comparison. You don't think about that. It's going to show up in eight years. Some of you right now, the deaths that you're incurring are putting consequences into your, your relationships, your marriage, your, your education. God's calling for it's, it's a con And I'm not condemning anyone. I'm just saying this is the reality. Me going into debt, $26,000 of student loans, and that was, that was a big amount in those days, without praying about it, cost my family, cost my children, cost, their, cost the inheritance thing. 
It costs a lot. I, I, feel, I don't feel any guilt for it. I know I'm forgiven, but I regret that. That was a mistake. Pride. Here's the consequences for David. So he's, he's really, he's, he comes to God. He says, God's going to forgive him. But he says, okay, thus saith the Lord, three things I'm going to offer you. Three options for discipline. Choose one. <laughs> Which would you choose? Okay, here it is. That I may do them to you. Now, why would God do that? Choose one. Here's my offer to you. Three options of discipline. Choose one so that I can punish you. It was discipline so that David wouldn't make the same mistake again. He never took another census. When God brings about, you know what discipline is? Is God pulling back and allowing you to feel the full consequence of your behavior. So that you don't do it again. Because the stakes are always higher and greater the older you get or the further down the, the, further down the path you get. So here's David's options. Shall three years of famine come to you in your land, one? Or would you like to flee three months from your enemies while they pursue you? Or would, there be, would you like three days of pestilence in your land? Which would you pick? Most would pick the quick one. That's what David picked. He said, let me not fall into the hands of men. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord. 70,000 men died and David was responsible. That was the consequence for numbering the people. 70,000 people died and David knew he was responsible. Because of pride. He was forgiven, definitely. There's a consequence sometimes to pride. That's one of the challenges of pride. And this is... Um, Here's something that's new, too. Some of you are incredibly gifted in this room. I, I marvel at the giftedness, the abilities of some of our young adults. I'm not patronizing you. I just marvel at it. Do not mistake the gifted, gifting. Don't mistake the spiritual giftedness that God's given you. And don't mistake him working through you as his approval. Because it's not the same. I could have sin in my life that I know about and come up here and preach God's word to you and God would still use it to some degree. Don't mistake that God's working through you for his approval in terms of your lifestyle. He's, maybe he's being patient with you. Here's one of the challenges, and I was wondering, should I say this? But I'm going to say it. Pride will cost some of us in this room our marriages, our jobs, thousands of dollars debt, and it will cost some of us our callings. I'm hoping that if God speaks to you, we can minimize that a bit. Pride puffs up, it distorts, it clouds our minds. Pride might even cost some of us our place in heaven. Think about that for a minute. Pride might actually cost some of us our place in heaven. You, you know, there's a big room. I don't know how many people you got. Two, three hundred people here. Is, is everyone here saved? Probably not. I mean, I'd hope so. In one way, I hope so. In another way, I hope not, because it'd be a bummer if we put all this effort in and we don't have any people that don't know Jesus here. And if you're, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you don't even know what saved means. That's kind of a lame term. If you're outside the church, saved. All the Christians are saved, and I'm unsaved. It's kind of lame, right? But if you're, if you're a guest here, you we're glad you're here. But... There's a, there's a passage of scripture, you know, um, my, my guess is some of, some of us here enjoy the collective, some of us enjoy the idea that God loves to forgive us, we love the idea that God loves us, and we love the idea that he invites us into a relationship. We love that, that's a great plan, that's a great message. But what we don't want is him to be Lord of our lives. You know, Jesus once said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Well, why do we call him Lord, Lord, and don't do what he say? Because I got this one, Jesus. I got this. I can handle this. I can handle this and this and this. 
I just come to you when I got problems. I got this. A lot of us actually want Jesus in our life, but we want to kind of live life however we want. And, and if you've been a, uh, or if you've been hanging around the Bible for a while, there, there's a place, you've probably heard of this text before. It's Matthew 25. It's about the sheep and the goats. Well, in, in, in church on the uh, village, we're on Matthew 19, but it'll take Mark five years to get to Matthew 25, so I'm going to bring it to light tonight. It's the sheep and the goats passage, and we've got to listen to it. Um, let me see if I can find it. Matthew 20, what did I say, 25? 25? Okay, yeah, Matthew 25, sheep and the goats. Okay, so what's going to happen, Jesus is giving this story to warn us, and he's going to, all the people, the final judgment, he's going to divide them, the sheep and the goats, sheep on the right, and to the people on the right, he's going to say, come you who are blessed to my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. Because I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Um, I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you gave me clothes. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And the righteous are going to say, when? <laughs> when did we do that? When were you hungry and gave you something to eat? When were you thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we clothe you? When did we come visit you? And Jesus is going to say, to the degree you did it to one of these, you did it to me. Go into heaven. And then he's going to say to the ones on his left, hence the goats, depart from me. Let me just read it in his words. Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Because I was hungry, you didn't give me food. I was thirsty, you didn't give me drink. I was a stranger, you didn't welcome me. Naked, you didn't give me clothes. Sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. And they're going to say, when? When did, when did we see? We didn't, we didn't see you were sick. When were you naked? When were all this covenant stuff? And he's going to say, to the extent you didn't do these, you didn't do it to me. And these will go away to eternal punishment, and the righteous, but the righteous into eternal life. Now my question is, why would anybody who knows that, why would anyone who knows that still not bow the knee to Jesus as Lord? Why would anyone not do that? Pride. Because we want to live life the way we want to live life. In 2000, I don't know, it was 2005 or 2006, I don't know where I've told this story before. I don't know if I've told it at Village or just some other place I'm speaking, but 2005 or 6, I was, I was sick and, I, and I, I was losing a lot of weight and I couldn't digest any food. And so they were testing for cancer, colitis, and Crohn's. And they thought, um, they, thought I would have, they thought I had colon cancer. So they were testing it. And the doctor said, Ken, if this is colon cancer, you waited too long, which is a nice way of saying you're going to die. It's actually a lousy way of saying that. And I remember sitting in my backyard and trying to think, God, if I'm supposed to die here, what's the point of that? What's the point? I, did, I got to get my head around it. And then God very clearly said to me, he said, if, I, if you've got to die, then show your kids how to die. And I thought, I can do that because I love my kids. And I'd love to show them how, I wouldn't love to show them how to die, but I, that would make sense to me. But right after that, God spoke to me very clearly. He says, Ken, why did you not ask me what, what you were supposed to do if I gave you back your life? You know what the answer was? Because you give me back my health, I can take it from here, God. I know what to do with my life. You give me back my health. Pride. You know, I remember when I was uh, 19 years old, I actually remember, see, pride puffs up and it distorts our thinking. I actually remember thinking to myself, I know I'm going to go to hell and that's okay. Because I will not bow the knee to anybody, including God. Nobody, including God, is going to tell me how to live my life. That sounds crazy to me now, but that was literally my mindset. I was that angry. No one's going to control my life. I don't think any sin is more offensive to God than pride. It's not the funnest sermon to preach, I know. But <laughs> Here's God uh, in Isaiah chapter 14. 
Now, some people think that God's referring to Lucifer here, and some people think he's not. He's referring to someone else. Either way, it doesn't matter, but I think he's referring to Lucifer here. In Isaiah chapter 14, it says, How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. There's a reason why we think he's talking about Satan or Lucifer is because Lucifer, is, his name is the son of the shining one. And Lucifer was created Satan before he got kicked out of heaven. His name changed to Satan, which means deceiver. But Lucifer was, Satan was created to be an angel of light, beauty. So here's the lament. How you are fallen from heaven, O son of dawn. How, how you are cut from the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to God. I'm sorry, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mounts of the assembly. I will ascend above the, the heights of the clouds. And I will make myself like the most high God. That is what cost Satan his place in heaven. I will make myself like God. Put myself up there. It's a serious, serious issue. So I want to take a look at, that's the problems of pride. I want to take a look at pride in three forms because most of us wouldn't think we're prideful. First, first form, I want to look at pride in, in form of taking a little bit of the credit. Is that prideful? Well, according to God, it might be. Ezekiel chapter uh, 28 this is a prophetic lament. That's in prophetic terms, it's it's God's heart crying out about the king of, of king of Babylon, or sorry, king of Tyre. Sorry. And again, some people think that it's talking about the king of Tyre, and some people are talking about halfway through. It starts talking about Satan. You can make up your own conclusion, um, but basically, okay. So because your heart's proud, this is the lament. Uh, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart's proud and you said I am God, I sit in the seats of gods in the hearts, you're but a man, no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. Indeed, you're wiser than Daniel, no secrets hidden from you. By your wisdom, your understanding, you've made wealth for yourself, and it goes on and on. Because you made your heart like the heart of God, therefore I'm going to bring your enemies against you. Because you made your heart like God. Listen, God will not be mocked. He will not give his glory to another. I went out and planted a church. That's a good thing. But the church plant became more about me succeeding and me needing to succeed, and God will not be mocked. I've been there. I know what it's like. when God, God, God's okay. In the Old Testament, if you know your Bible, God allowed his temple to be destroyed. All the people thought God's never going to allow the temple to be destroyed because they all thought God was worried about his reputation. He's not. God will actually tear things apart from us if we don't listen. Then it goes into the lament of the king of Tyre. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to, to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord your God. This is, this is why I think that God began talking about Satan here. Now, why, why, why would God start talking about the king of Tyre and then move to talking about Satan? Because, remember when, when uh, Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter? What happened there? Satan got an entry point. Whatever you want to think about, demon possessed, demon oppressed, demon, you know, whatever you want to talk about, doesn't matter right now for this sermon, but somehow Satan got a chink in Peter's armor, and Jesus looked at Satan and said, get thee behind me, Satan. It was pride. Another time it says in the Bible, it says, Satan had already entered Judas. A chink in the armor. Satan got access point, legal ground to mess up from within. And that's what I think happened with the king of Tyre. Here, here it goes. Um, you were, this is where God started out talking about the king of Tyre, and then he switches. He says, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. 
talks about all the precious stones. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created. That's another reason I don't think it was the king, because no one's created blameless except before the, uh, before the fall. In the abundance of your trade, filled with violence, in the midst you sinned, and I cast you down as a propane, pro, propane, profane thing. Sorry. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You know why Satan got kicked out of heaven, in my understanding? He wanted a little bit of God's glory. He just wanted a little bit. And that's where we're, that's a real challenge because none of us wants a label of pride, but when we're honest, how many of us do want a bit of the glory? That's a real problem for those of you who are in platform ministry. It's a problem for me. It's a problem for those of you who are successful in business or successful in your careers, wanting a little bit of glory. It's a real problem. So how do you handle that? Let me take another twist on it. How do you respond to a compliment? You know how I recognize a prideful person? If you give someone a compliment, say, no, 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 it was all Jesus, it was all Jesus. Keep it coming, keep it coming, right? No, you already know it was Jesus and you. Jesus already called you. you know, so when you get a compliment, if you've done hard work and someone compliments your, your building that you created or your, your driveway you poured or your worship song, go ahead and say, you know what? Yeah, that was a great song. It was a great worship night. You already know that it was God working through you. But a lot of times we say, oh, it was all Jesus, all Jesus. But, but, but that's, that's in a sense, it's false humility. It's pride. Let me ask you another question. How do you handle a critique? Do you own the 20% of it that's probably true, or do you defend yourself? Someone critiques you, and they're 80% wrong. Do you ever say, you know what? Let me think about that. Let me pray about that and see what God sets in my heart. Do you ever do that? or do you? No, I don't do that. Oh, yeah, I think I'm bad. What about him? You can always find someone sicker than you. That's pride. What do you do, How do, you, what do, you do when you do really good, when you really nail something? Do you, re, do you loop the video? That's pride. What do you do when you do really poorly? Do you loop the video? Beat yourself up? That's pride. I mean, if you're really doing it for Jesus, whether you do good or poor, it's not up to you, is it? If you did your best, and if it flops, and if you loop the video, it's arrogance. It's pride. Because we're afraid of our image. I'm not beating you up. This is what I struggle with. Let's take another look at a form of pride. Back to the Moses story. What was his sin? You know, I'm not going to set you up for that, but you, we all talked about his sin. I wanted you to think about that. So in, uh, in, in Numbers 20, verse 8, God says, okay, he says uh, they, were, they were thirsty. So God says, okay, speak to the rock. Speak to the rock, and water's going to come out, and he gives Moses a staff. Well, Moses is angry at the people. Now he's angry. And he stand, stands in front of them. He takes the staff that God gave him, and he hits the rock, and water comes out. That's why, again, don't mistake the power of God working through you for God's approval of your character. The power of God is there. So he strikes it. Water comes out. God was not pleased. In, in, in eight, chapter 8, verse 12 of Numbers, it says, And the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me. What do you mean believe in you? I struck, struck it. You gave me the staff. I didn't tell you to strike it. I told you in front of everybody else to speak to it, and you didn't do it. The NIV, I love the way the NIV says it. Because you did not trust in me enough to regard me as holy before the people. Because you did not trust in me enough. Because you thought you had this. You struck the rock because a couple of chapters before, God told him to strike the rock. 
Then he struck the rock and water came out. Now you got this, right? You, and what Moses did is he knew how to do this. I don't need your instruction. I know how to do this, God. I've done this before. Any of us here guilty of not trusting God enough? Not praying about something because you know how to do it? That's pride. It's pride in my life. It's pride in your life. Let me give you a couple examples. You don't have to put up your hands here, but how many of you are giving 10% of your income to the Lord? Or 15? And if not, why not? Isn't it because you don't trust God enough? What about your sexuality? Are you trusting God enough that he's smarter than you on that? And I'm going to put a plug in this, and, and I know there's complications for this, but here's my opinion. I think we get married too late and divorce too early. Now, I, I don't care, and, but I know we're really smart nowadays, and we should all get our businesses and our houses paid off before we get married, but we're having sex all the time, which you think has got more of a problem with God. I think we're better off being poor together. If you're going to have sex anyway, if you love someone that much, put a ring on their finger. Gals, don't go out with a guy that doesn't have the courage to put a ring on your finger and wants to sleep with you. And I'm going to say this wherever I go. If you don't want guys, if you want to lead after you get married, lead before you get married. When you pick up the girl, when you pick up the girl, say, just so you know, at the end of this date, we're going to pray together. It's going to be really hard for you to get your hands in her pants when you know you got to pray for her, pray with her after. And gals, if your guy doesn't, doesn't come and he doesn't say that, if he doesn't say, listen, I'm going to pray, then say, listen, before we leave my house tonight, I want, I want to know, are we going to pray at the end of this date? Now, if you don't want a Christian marriage, then don't do that. But if you want a Christian marriage, and guys, don't wait until she says it. You just surrendered your leadership. What do you think happens when you get married? You think all of a sudden you get this leadership aura? Mm, I'm the leader in my home? You don't get nothing. You want to lead after and lead before. I'm serious on that. <laughs> Let me test this with you guys. How much time do you actually, remember we're talking about not trusting God enough? How much time do you actually spend a day in prayer other than food, other than your meals? Don't, again, I don't want your answers, but how much time, how many minutes actually a day do you actually pray? For example, ministry teams, ministry teams. How much time do you practice your worship songs Versus praying for the anointing. How much time? Just think, of, And I'm not saying you do it 50-50. I'm just saying we usually tag on the prayer right before we go. Oh, Lord. Or you're speaking. Or your children's ministry. Or whatever it is. When's the last time you asked God to lead you far from temptation? It's in the disciples' prayer. Lord, lead us not into temptation. When's the last time you prayed that? Why don't you pray? Why don't we pray that? Because we got this one, Lord. You know what? I think you can knock out about 30% of lustful thoughts with just praying in the morning. Lord, lead me away from the internet sleaze channels or whatever they are, right? Sites. <laughs> I know what the internet is, just so you know. <laughs> Isaac set me up. <laughs> I'm serious about that, but it's, it's arrogance. Now, some of us aren't going to pray that because we actually want to indulge the temptation. I don't struggle with temptation. I just give in to it. 
That's lame. How about in relationships? You know, I used to think that if I just said it louder, Bonnie would get it. It didn't work. If you're in a relationship, it doesn't matter who you're in a relationship with, a guy, girl, or if your parents, or your whatever, friends or whatever, you've got a conflict. How much time do you spend praying about that? Do you know that you can change the heart of another person through prayer? Why don't we not do that, pride? Pride. Prayer is one of the most powerful things that will change almost everything, and we don't do it. Why? Pride. I can't think of another reason. I mean, it's not fun. It's hard. It assaults our pride because we become dependent. And I would rather spend 20 minutes arguing it out, sometimes three days, arguing it out with my wife than spending a half an hour on my knees in prayer because I'm stupid. See, see, pride puffs up. It justifies our stupidity. And you don't usually know it that you're prideful until after. So I get it. It's in my life. Pride is one of my biggest sins. And it's ugly. And I see it in all kinds of forms. I see it in the forms that I'm talking about now. You know what I pray most when I speak in a place like this? I pray that God, that you would leave here feeling loved by God in a few of us. I don't care what you think of me. I used to pray when I was younger, Lord, help me have a great message. Who cares if I have a great message? Really? Just me. You don't care if I have a great message. Just me. If I'm going to care about the things God cares about, it's got to be your hearts. Bring that into your relationships. Bring that into your work. However it is. All right. Another one. What was the temptation of Eve in the Garden of Eden? It was a big temptation. Do you know that Eve was tempted by the good side of the knowledge of the tree of the, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, not the evil side? The good side. Here's the temptation from Satan. For God knows that when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be open and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. You will become like God, knowing good and evil. So she bit into it. It was the good side of the knowledge of tree, tree of, of, of the tree of good and evil that tempted Eve, not the evil side. But God didn't want, God didn't think she could handle that information. She could. Have you ever known your, do you ever think that you know better than God? That's exactly what happened to Eve. I know God said don't do this. You can't handle it. We can handle it. When have you ever been, could you be legitimately accused of thinking you know better than God? Do you ever say something like this? I know God says this, but. I know God says I'm supposed to forgive this person, but. That's arrogance. I know, whatever it is, you can fill in the blanks. Whenever, whenever you say, I know God says this, but, it doesn't even matter what's after the but. It's all bull after the but. It's pride. I'm saying these things so you, so when you say these next time, the Holy Spirit puts a red flag. Ken, pride, bang. Why? Because pride will destroy. It comes with huge consequences. So what's the answer? Well, obviously, it's Jesus. <laughs> but let's, that's predictable, but let's unpack that a bit. Philippians chapter 2, very, very common, very familiar passage. Have this in mind. Where are we here? 2, 1, verse 8. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, do nothing. Verse 3. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count yourselves as more significant than you. And come back to that one. Think about that. 
Let each of you not look only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourself in Christ Jesus. Though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself, taking on the very nature of a servant, being found and being born in the likeness of men and, and became, sorry, being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. Listen, if you want to defeat pride, you can't do it by not being prideful. In 1984, the Olympics were held in Los Angeles and YWAM, Youth with a Mission, was down there trying to break through and do evangelism and they were not having any success. You can read about this in John Dawson's book, uh, Taking Our Cities for God. They weren't having any success, but they used to. Have, they usually have success, and so what they did, they just started to discern, and they realized that the, that it was pride. It was a spirit of pride that was hindering them from evangelism. So they thought, okay, if we're going to defeat this, we've got to act in the exact opposite spirit, which is humility. So they took their YWAM teams during the Olympics, went to the richest places, all the rich stores in L.A., and they knelt down on the corner of these streets and began to pray in humility. And it was it was a risk. It was embarrassing. There's people, rich people. People walking by thinking, oh, he's the quacks, right? But they did that, and when they broke that, by, by their acting in humility, acting in the exact opposite spirit, that's what broke the power of pride. That's what broke the spirit of pride. And then their evangelism began to have success. That is exactly what Jesus did. What was Satan? He, he came. Jesus had a couple of job descriptions to show us what God the Father was like, to, to pay the price for our sins. That's big enough. But he also came to defeat the power of Satan. What was Satan's biggest sin? Pride. What did Jesus do? He took on the form of a servant what would you and I do we'd go duke it out with Satan we'd call down a couple hundred thousand angels or we'd go right zap Spider-Man or whatever else right I guess Spider-Man doesn't do that right (laughs) he would do it that way right (laughs) you guys are sick So scale one to ten, let's, let's look at what Jesus did. Number one, if you, if you want to defeat pride in your life, empty, empty yourself, judge yourself on a scale of one to ten here. Empty yourself of your right to act independently of the Holy Spirit. Scale of one to ten, how are you doing on that one? That's what Jesus did when he came down to earth. When he emptied himself, he surrendered his right to act independently of the Holy Spirit. How well are you doing on that one? Scale of one to ten, no fives. Have a spine. <laughs> really, lock in your answers. How well are you doing on emptying yourself of the privilege of acting independently of the Holy Spirit in terms of who you date, in terms of how you spend your money, in terms of how you spend your vacation, in terms of how, what schools you go to, whatever. And how do you figure that out? What's my prayer life like? Do I only pray about the problems I have or do I pray about... My raise, what do I do with all the extra money that you're giving me, Lord? Do I pray about the little things before they become big things? Because if we don't, we're not doing so well there. Another thing Jesus did is no defense. He, Jesus allowed other people to mistreat him. How are you doing there? Do you know Jesus only defended people, other people? When they attacked him, he took it. When they attacked other people, he would stand up for the poor or the oppressed. But he wouldn't defend himself because he emptied himself of that right. 
Why I'm saying that is next time someone accuses you, if, it's, they're, just, if they're just accusing you, try being silent. And leave your defense to God. That would be a humble way to take it. No claim to greatness. Number two, he took on the form of a servant. He actually did servant things without recognition. You know what? You know what we often talk about spiritual warfare. You know what warfare? You know what spiritual warfare is? Being a servant and not taking any credit where no one knows. That's spiritual warfare. We always think spiritual warfare is kicking out demons. Yeah, it includes that. But spiritual warfare is actually doing things that no one's going to see for the kingdom, for Jesus, for someone that can't pay you back. Giving some money without a tax receipt. Do you know in Australia, they don't get tax receipts for giving money? <laughs> One of my friends already said, we give to the Lord, not to the government. <laughs> what would happen? You know, I'm not there to talk about money, but what would happen if we didn't get tax receipts? We'd find out who's tipping and who's tithing, right? Well, how about just forget the whole thing, just give 20 bucks to someone without them knowing who it's from. Um, one of my life calling verses, Acts 2616, which says, God has called me to be a servant and as a witness of what, he's, what I've seen of him and what I've shown him. And I remember sitting in a coffee shop in, in uh, Wally, and God spoke that to me. And I thought, yes, God's called me to be a witness of everything he's shown me, but I forgot the servant part. See, God called me to a witness, and I went on and planted the church. I forgot to be a servant. So God had to strip away the church plant until I learned how to become a servant. That's when I became a children's pastor. <laughs> Six months till he got me out of there. But I had to learn to become a servant. And that is hard. It is hard. I had to learn to serve another man's vision. That is hard. When I sold the farm a few times, not a real farm, but sold you know, everything to go to ministry, to become a servant, that's hard. Going to the cross was hard when Jesus was God. Another thing we can do is that Jesus did here is consider and treat others as if they were better than you. Do you know that we can actually do that? Every single one of you can actually do that if you want. You can, that's something you can actually do. You can actually treat other people as if they were better than you. Notice it doesn't say they are better. Jesus was better than all the people he treated as if they were better, but he treated them as if they were better. John chapter 13, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but I think it's going to come up on scripture here. But, but Jesus went down and he began washing the feet of his disciples. In those days, that was a kind of a low servant kind of a job, washing the feet kind of thing. And he did it. And he said to them, he says, do you see what, do you know what I've done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? If I, your Savior, know, you call me Master and Lord and run rightly so, for that is who I am. Jesus knew exactly who he was. And he says, now that I, your master and Lord, have washed your feet, do so unto others. When you know who you are, you can wash feet. The people who can't serve other people, it's because they don't know who they are. They're still trying to make a name for themselves. But if you know who you are, you can wash feet. It doesn't matter if other people know. That's the sign of someone that's secure. If you're the kind of person that always wants people to know the good things you do, and once a little bit of glory, there's some hurts, there's some wounds, there's some emptiness in your heart. And I mean it. That, and I don't care if you come to Freedom Session, but that is something that we're trying to create a culture where we can find the roots of those emptiness, the, the voids. So that we don't need to go out there and try to make a name for ourselves. Let other people make your name. Let God make your name. Serve. You know, there's no competition in the servanthood quarters. The competition's all on the accolades. There's no competition in being a servant. 
You know you can do that? You can write an encouragement note to someone this week. You can do that tomorrow. You could actually do this before Sunday. You could become a servant. You could treat someone, you could treat the person you don't like as better than you. Do you know someone who is vehemently against me and my wife when I was in their city? I called my wife and I was doing some ministry and I said, what should we do? Should we buy them a gift? Yeah, so we bought them a gift. We drove it out to their, I drove it out to their house. We wrote a little card. I wrote a little card. I was on the phone with my wife. What should we put in here? And we gave them a gift. We could actually do this. And they still don't like us. But we can do that. And we love those people. They probably love us. They just don't like us. <laughs> Sickos. <laughs> and the last one is, Jesus was obedient to God no matter what the cost. There's also no competition on the way to the gallows. There's no pride on the way to the gallows. Jesus gave up his life. I wrote a little card to someone, a little email, sorry, this week that wants to be a pastor. And I said it's the best and worst of life. It is. But so is following God. I became a Christian in 20 years, 19 years old. I, I never wanted to be a pastor. And I thought, you know, in fact, God would have said, Ken, either go to hell or be a pastor. And I said, hell, pastor, tomato, tomato. <laughs> I thought the only thing worse than being a pastor is being an elder because you've got to do what a pastor does for free. When I became a Christian, though, I was going to give my whole life to the Lord. And we were going to use the business money to fund the ministry we were going to be. We were going to just work, we would work with young people, speak at youth camps and things like that. I don't care if you're a businessman. I don't care if you're a bricklayer. You don't have to go into pastoral ministry. In fact, don't if you can stay out of it. But giving your life and being obedient to whatever God calls you is hard. But it's humbling. And God is attracted to the humble. Dying. There's a beauty of dying. Dying for my wife. Dying for other people. Dying to my own ego. Dying to my pride. Praying for you that you'd feel love. These are just little things that God's taught me along the way. I've learned some by mistakes and I've learned some by some godly people. Learn a couple things from me. If this is all too hard for you, the other way you can knock your pride down is just try being honest. <laughs> Do you know it's really hard for me to be honest and be prideful? Because I'm not really as good as I think I am or you think I am. You know, I know you guys usually end in prayer. Tonight, we want to give you two opportunities to take two different steps in humility. The first one is an old-fashioned foot washing. You've probably heard of that in the day. Some churches used to actually do that every month. Don't, don't worry. It's not going to be weird. And if you're a guest here, don't worry. We're not a cult or anything like that. And I get it. No one likes the practice of foot washing. That's because feet are kind of ugly. We're self-conscious about our feet. If you think your feet are pretty, just you and your mom thinks your feet are pretty. Your, 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 your feet are ugly. And they might even be smelly. Maybe that's why Jesus chose feet. So this is what we're going to do here. We're going to have a worship set. And honestly, some churches would, would do foot washing every month. And I thought about how can we do this in the least weird way, in the least uncomfortable way. So this is what's going to happen. You've got four leaders up here, and the band's going to come up here and lead us in worship. And for those of you who are willing, it's optional, those of you who are willing, I want you to take your feet, your shoes off at your place where you're sitting. I want you to come up the front aisle and simply dip your feet in there, and your leaders will just splash some water on it or whatever. It's not going to be weird. And then you're going to go out the, the, the outside and go and have communion at the back, and, and the band's going to be playing. And I get it that it's uncomfortable. 
I get it. That's the point. It's going to be an intimate thing for us as a group to do here. It won't change life. It won't bring about humility. It's just one step. It's real. It's, and, and if you're feeling right now, I don't want to do this, that's, that's pr- partly it's probably just because it's weird. Part of it's because it's pride. And again, there's no obligation. But if you're going to do it, let me just go through the instructions again so we don't have a madhouse here. If you're going to get your feet washed, you're going to come up through the center aisle and have your feet washed, and then you're going to go, don't put your shoes back on, go to the back and have communion. Your shoes will still be where they are. If you don't want to do the foot washing thing, and if you want to have communion, you're, will, you're able to just go out the side aisle, sorry, and go and have communion, but it's going to be during worship. Before we do all that, and then I'll come back and we'll have some questions, we'll talk about it in little groups. Before I do all that, honestly, I want to give an opportunity for those of you who aren't Christians. And maybe tonight's your night. Maybe you've been hanging around collective or going to village church or whatever church for a while, and you've been hanging around with some Christians, and, and you actually believe, and somehow God opened your heart to what I was saying, that some of us here, pride could cost us a place in eternity. And you want to simply invite Jesus into your life. So I'm going to pray a little prayer there. And for some of you, I'm going to pray a prayer to help you to confess your pride. Lord Jesus, and this, by the way, is for those of you who don't know Jesus personally, I heard some things tonight that I, I believe, and I, I've heard them for a while, and tonight I see that there is pride in my life, and I don't want that. And my first step, Lord, will be inviting you, asking you to forgive me my sins. I can't make it right. I'm asking you to forgive me. And in doing that, I'm also opening up my heart and inviting you to become my Lord, my leader. I don't even know what that's going to look like, but tonight I'm crossing the line. And when I come forward and get my feet washed, Lord, I ask that you are also washing my heart because it's ugly sometimes. I also ask you, Lord Jesus, to fill me with your Holy Spirit. And now I ask you, Holy Spirit, to just fill those who are inviting you to be Lord of their life. Holy Spirit, just fill. Put pressure on the areas of pride that you want to cleanse. And then this prayer is for those of you who God has convicted. And conviction's not condemnation. There's no condemnation to those in Christ. It's conviction comes with the warmth of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I see that there's pride in my life. I didn't see it. And I'm so sorry, Lord. I realize that sin, that's what cost us to be kicked out of the garden. That's what cost Satan his place in heaven. That's what's costing me and those I love. And I'm sorry, Lord. I ask you to forgive me for my pride. Thank you for letting me see it. I ask you to forgive me and wash me. Help me to take a couple of steps of humility this week. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill me with all of your presence and your measure. In Jesus' name, amen.